Well, praise God. Who's excited to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. That's okay. You can lift up a hand clap to God this morning. That's right. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you what you're going to continue to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Hasn't it been a wonderful presence of God we've just felt in this place? I said it last service, I'm going to say it again now, that God never ceases to, to amaze me. He always steps in, and right when the doors are open, he creates that atmosphere for us to encounter and to dwell in, and he shows up before, before we even get here to prepare a place for us, and I'm thankful for that. Um, so with that, you can, you can go ahead and be seated, just for a minute though. <laughs> so... Um, Last week we heard from Brother Watts, what an incredible word we heard from him about uncut stones and altars and he talked about these different things and I'm going to take just a couple minutes to kind of recap some, some things that I kind of gathered from that and that I really wanted to point out this morning and so just bear with me the next couple minutes but he preached a word about uncut stones and he talked about how sometimes when the children of Israel had to build an altar he would say you know what use don't put any iron or put any tools towards these, these stones, but instead take them from the wild, just uncut stones and build that altar. And he directed them to do that in certain situations. And um, Brother Watts talked about how God asked this of them because he didn't want Israel to start idolizing the altars and idolizing the, the places that they had just created, the things they had made and say, oh, well, well look, look what I have just done. Or look what I've just built. But, and later he talked about how God is looking for us to be uncut stones. That we don't have to be cookie cutter. We don't have to be perfect to come to God. But he wants to, us to come just as we are. When we come into the house of God, we got problems. We got hangups. We got, we got issues, struggles. I've got them. You've got them. We all come into the house of God with things, with junk. And that's okay. We're not, he doesn't expect us to come in and say, oh, you know, all your stuff, you've, you know, you got to get rid of it all. You know, like, oh, you got to come into the house of God. Perfect. No, he says, you know what? I'm going to take you as you are and I'm going to mold you and I'm going to shape you. The Bible says that we are clay in the potter's hands and to allow him to be able to mold us and shape us into what he wants us to be. Now with that process, it's not always the easiest. Sometimes his shaping or his cutting away at our heart or his changing things in our lives is difficult because we're creatures of habit, amen? Man, if it was up to me, I'd sit in the same place every day on Sunday. Every time, every Sunday I'm here, I would sit in the same exact place because I'm a creature of habit. And we get used to the things that we go through and we get sometimes complacent. It's okay to say that. Sometimes we get complacent. Sometimes we get, we get comfortable and so when God begins to mold and begins to shape and begins to poke at us here and there, it's not always the most comfortable thing, but we've got to go through it. We've got to deal with it. So God wants us to come as we are. So I encourage you this morning, taking all that and bringing it together into a point, I want to encourage you this morning to let your heart be open to what God wants to do this morning. Be open to the change that God might have for you in the coming weeks, or maybe today. Maybe today's the day of your breakthrough. Maybe today's the day you're gonna grab a hold of something new. Maybe today's the day that God's gonna take you from here where you've been comfortable and you've been on the surface and say, you know what? You're gonna go to here. You're gonna go deeper. Come on. 
Maybe today is the day your spiritual journey and trajectory will forever be altered. Pastor talked about it earlier on this year in V groups, beginning of 2020. He says, you know what, church, we're here, and I want you to begin to step up. And he talked about us, and he said, you know what, and he, I feel like over and over in, um, in our lessons and in V groups and in things that was, were put together and in his preachings, he talked about that we're here, but we've got to step it up as a church. We've got to say, you know what, I'm committed to every single thing that God would call me to. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to get comfortable. So I encourage you this morning to be sensitive. Let God work on you. I believe it's no accident that you stepped in here this morning. I believe some of you came in here with situations. Some of you came in here with issues, problems. I don't know what it is exactly. But I've seen kind of the atmosphere the last few weeks and on the vertical page how people are dealing with sickness. Pastors dealing with family in the hospital. I've been dealing with family in the hospital. A lot of you guys have been going through some trying times, but know that God is here in this place. And there's a reason that you stepped in this morning and there's a reason that you're here because he's here to mend some things. The spirit of God will heal some, some broken hearts, will heal some minds. So for that, I'm truly thankful. And like I told the, the first service, that was free. <laughs> so... That's just kind of what I gathered from what Brother Watts was talking about last week. Some of the interesting things he talked about. And I've actually been dwelling on that message this week and thinking through it. And at the same time, praying about what God would have me speak today. And I feel that God put this word in my mind. It was just a singular word and that word hit my mind and it was covenant. And I begin to think that man, covenants kind of plays in closely to, to altars. Very closely. A lot of times at the altar, we give up some things. We sacrifice some things. And at the same time, we make a covenant with God to say, you know what? I'm here at this place, but I need to be there. God, I've dealt with some things, but I know you can bring me through this situation. So I feel it closely ties with the subject. So bear with me in the next few minutes. I'm going to talk a little bit more about altars and what they signify. And then I'm going to talk some about covenants and how they can relate to us. So today I'm going to preach to you from this subject. It's really basic, okay? Altars and covenants. Man, I didn't take a lot of time on that one, right? <laughs> well, so I'm just going to preach from that subject. So if you'll join with me um, in your Bibles or on the screen there, Genesis 35 and 1, it says, Then God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and live there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Down to verse 7, we see, it, we see Joshua, or Jacob, sorry, he built an altar there, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. You can be seated. Amen. So we see that God says, you know what, build an altar. Build an altar. You've gone through some situations. You've gone through some turmoil. A lot of times God would have the people of Israel or his children build an altar either, either before they were about to enter a situation or right after. We see that he fled his brother and he built an altar. He built an altar because God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. So he said, I've got to build an altar here. This is a special place. God provided for me. He didn't know what Esau was going to do. He didn't know if Esau was going to kill him because after all, Jacob was the one who stole the birthright. Years and years ago, Jacob conspired against his brother and he stole his birthright for a bowl of soup. 
And so I can imagine that, that when he went before his father, when Esau went before his father and said, okay, well, won't you bless me? And he says, well, well, wait a second, I've already blessed you. And he said, come here. And he felt him and he says, well, you feel like Esau, you, you talk like Esau. He says, well, father, it is me. And he said, well, who was that imposter that came in before? Who was that person? And he realized that was my brother, Jacob. He stole my birthright. And Esau began to plead with his father and he said, well, well, don't you have something left over for me? Don't you have just a little bit of blessing left over? And he said, well, I'm sorry. He's like, you're going to serve your brother for the rest of your life. You're going to basically be lesser and he's going to be greater. And so I can imagine as an older brother, because I believe he was, eh, correct me, Esau was born first, right? Sounds good. I know Jacob was a supplanter and he tried to pull at the leg, but Esau was born first. So he, of course, even though they were twins, he was the firstborn. And the firstborn receives the birthright, typically, based on biblical teaching. So I can imagine that you're thinking, man, this is mine. This is what I, what's owed to me. It's my birthright. And it was stripped away. So he was in a place of like anger, I'm sure. So Jacob, when he comes up to him, he says, man, what am I going to do? What's my brother going to do to me? And so sure enough, God said, you know what? Don't worry. Send your family ahead. Send the, send the flock ahead. Do all these things, preparing for your brother. And when his brother came up to him, he embraced him. And he said, brother, I'm just happy you're alive. I'm just happy you're here, basically. I'm just glad that things worked out. No anger was there. No, no, no animosity So from there, Jacob said, well, God, you provided for me in a situation that was unclear, in a situation where I didn't know what was going to happen. So I'm going to build an altar here, and I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to consecrate some things. I'm going to talk through some things with you, God. And this is just one of many scriptures where God directs his people to build altars. And there there were many types of altars in the Bible, some of wood, some of stone. Who's glad we don't have to... We don't have to build a physical altar anymore. We don't have to build something and erect something from the ground. No, we, you know, the altars we build nowadays are at an altar place or maybe in your seat or maybe it's at your home or maybe it's in a place, a a prayer closet, so to speak, where you say, this is just a place where I commune and I meet with God. And these altars were set up for different purposes and in different situations. And sometimes God's people set up altars before or after God came through in a situation. Sometimes it was like, man, I see a storm on the horizon. God, I'm about to deal with some things. You ever see someone walk towards you and you're like, oh, it's about to be trouble. Oh man, God, help me with this situation. Sometimes you gotta build a quick altar. Like, it's like a, a ready-made altar. You're like, okay, come on, I need a 30-second altar, God. Help me with this situation. And sometimes you can see things on the horizon that are about to come into your life and you got to say God I build this right here because I need I need direction and I need wisdom and I need prosperity and I need you to show me how I need to navigate these these rough waters that are ahead of me but then at other times God said it's after the battle it's after the situation after you've seen me come through for you then build me an altar so there's different situations different types of altars even But a lot of times these altars were used as memorials or places of remembrance for God's people. They're places they can look to and say, man, I remember being in that situation at that time. I remember how God brought me out and how that I was in a struggle and I was in a rut. But God came in and he said, you know what, here I am. And he took me by the reins and just pulled me out of that situation. So these altars 
are memorials. They're places of remembrance. And ultimately, altars are places where we meet with God. Now, altars, like I said before, can be set up anywhere. It doesn't matter where it's at. Um, it could be in your home, like I said, anywhere. Now, we typically, as the church, we say, you know what, this front area is the altar area. Um, but altars can be anywhere. No matter where, they can be anywhere. Basically, any place where you choose to say, God, here's where I want to consecrate my life. Here's where I want to commune with you. Here's where I want to get some direction. Here's where I want to lay some things down. Here's where I want to sacrifice some things. And he'll take you wherever it is. Back then, they had to go to a temple or a tabernacle, and they got to go before a priest, and they got to do all these things, and the formalities were all there, and they've got to, they got to choose the, the right sacrifice and make sure it was strong and healthy and it was the best of their flock, and they got to pull it in. You know, just imagine them dragging it. Come on, you, you ram. You're just stubborn, and you're pulling it through. Or catching doves. How do you catch doves? Like, really? <laughs> I got to do two doves to, you know, forgive me of this sin, or whatever they had to do at the time. I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. I'm glad that we have... Jesus as the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice that died on Calvary and said, you know what, I'm here for your sins. I'm going to wash them away. So altars can be anywhere. Altars are a place where I say, I want to make some changes. Not just short-term changes, not just something for the temporary, not just something for today, but something long-term. In the Greek, the word altar means a place of sacrifice. As humans, I think we kind of hold on to some things, hold on to some baggage. We come in with struggles, hang-ups, all kind of stuff. That's okay. We're human. But altars are places where we can lay those things down and say, God, I sacrificed this before you. God, this distraction that's been so much a part of my life for all these years, or God, this addiction, or God, this, this trouble that I've been involving myself with that I could have left years ago. God, today's the day I lay it down at the altar. Today's the day I sacrifice this thing on the altar, figuratively or physically. It could be something you physically have in your hand. And God says, take it out, throw it away. You don't need that anymore. It's a distraction. I've seen, I've been in services where um, years ago where a friend of mine, a close friend of mine in the youth group, he was dealing with some drug problems. Nobody knew about it because he had the act down. He knew how to play church. He knew how to say just the right thing and, and talk just the right way and worship in just the right moment. And he was good at it. But altars were a little bit shaky for him he didn't like going to the altar because he knew the altar was a place of of reverence it was a place where some things could change and his life could be forever altered so he would stay at the back when the altar call would happen and man one time the youth pastor walked down and he says we need to pray for him God revealed to me he's he's going through some things so in the moment we, there was a group of men that came back there and they were praying for this boy and he began to dance and he began to spin and he began to cry and things were happening. A transformation was happening in his life spiritually at that very moment. And what he did is he pulled out this bag of marijuana and he says, take it from me. Take it from me. I don't want it anymore. And the pastor ran down to the altar and he says, this is what God can do. This is what God can change. And he put it down on the altar and he said, he's free. And that boy has never picked it up again. God stepped into his life and he changed it. Come on, in the moment, in an instant, so sometimes we got to make sacrifices sometimes we got to let go of things that we've been holding on to for far too long sometimes we got to give up things that are dear to us that we've grown accustomed to hallelujah 
So altars are a place where you can also dedicate things to God. Pastor talked about it a little bit last service. At the end, he said, he talked about him and Lisa and about their marriage and marriage is a covenant. And he talked about um, their kids and that every place that was of significance in their life was done at an altar or took place at an altar when they dedicated their kids, when they got married. It's true for most of us here as well. A lot of times what we go through is are places in life where we find altars that we dedicate ourselves or our children or our things unto God, our minds, our hearts. And that's okay. Like I said earlier, altars are places of remembrance. They're places where you can come up to and say, you know what? I'm going to take a moment and look back to see where God brought me from. That's okay. That's okay. Some people will say, don't look back. Don't look back at your past and don't look at that. No, I have to disagree with that. Sometimes we got to look back and take inventory of where God's brought us out of, what God's brought us through, where he's brought us to at this point, and know that we're not necessarily finished. He brought me to this point, but I still got a ways to go. I still need direction. I still need provision. Amen. And the thing about the thing about the children of Israel is maybe it was a good harvest that year. Maybe it was a good battle they won. And they erected this altar. And the thing is, once it was erected, they didn't, they didn't just tear it down right after. They left it. And it became a landmark. It became a memorial that, let's say they were crossing that way a year later. And they said, hey, that's that memorial. That's that place that God brought me out of. That's that place. I see it as a, as a figure. It's still there. And I mentioned last service that, that Facebook kind of does that to us. Facebook will give those memories for that the previous year. And you, you'll pop it up and you're like, Oh man, reminds me of an altar. It's almost like a mini altar in my life. God, that's, that's a time whenever you did something in my life. That's a time where I was drastically changed. Sometimes they do the before and, before and, and now. And you're like, and that's what I used to be. And this is what I am now. Pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. Some of you are like, well, I was still with Jesus at that time. But God had some working on me that he had to do. And that's okay. We're continually growing and developing So altars are used at different times for different purposes. But a lot of times it was for God to just commune with his people, to talk to them, to meet with them and say, you know what, I know what you're facing ahead. I know it's on the horizon. You might not even see it, but you're in prayer and you say, I don't know, I feel something in my spirit. Or even pastor, I've talked about this a lot of times. Pastor is a watchman on the wall. And when the Israelites and when Jerusalem had its walls built they put up people that were watchmen to look on the horizon because they can warn the people and say you know what the people in the city hey we got an army coming we got a situation coming we got a storm coming so sometimes God in our situations when we meet with him he'll talk to other people and say you know what you're dealing with this and this is what's going on and he'll use a man of God like pastor in our life to speak to us altars are used for a lot of different things Maybe there are a place where you felt you were held down for so long by depression or fear, anxiety. These are real life things, church. Maybe that's a place where God's calling you to this morning and saying, you know what, why don't you lay those things down? You don't need them. Let my peace come to you. There are places where you can take inventory, places where you can look back. Look where you're at now. Amen. Those altars, like I said, were, were left standing for future generations to see. They didn't just tear them down. 
They left him there. And I can just imagine the, the stories. Stories of Joshua's great-grandchildren, for instance, and them saying, well, well, hey, what, what's this landmark here? What are these 12 stones at Jordan? What are, what are these 12 stu- stones doing over there? What's going on? And I can imagine the stories that would ensue and the, and the tales that would be told and these, the awe in the eyes of these children as they see the miracles and the signs and the wonders that God did for his people. And I can see them talking about, well, before we were at the promised land, before we were in our purpose and our promise and before we were at the place that God called us to, we were on the other side of Jordan. We were dealing with some things and we were going through a wilderness experience and we had struggle and we had pain, but God showed up every step of the way. And I can imagine their eyes lighting up and faith being built and them saying, well, well, what happened here when you needed water? And they said, well, the stone was struck and water came out of it. Well, what about when you were hungry? They said, well, manna fell from heaven and God provided. We ground that up and made it into bread. They said, well, what, what about meat? We love meat. They said, well, quail. God gave quail from the heavens and it fell down and provided for the children of Israel. And I can see these stories being told and faith begin to, beginning to rise in these young children. And they said, well, if it's good enough for grandpa, if it's good enough for great grandpa Joshua, if it's good enough for mom, or if it's good enough for dad, then surely God is good enough for me. Surely he can bring me out of my struggle. Surely he can step into my situation. Surely he can free me from my dilemma. Come on. They got 40 long years of wilderness and struggle, but God kept them and he provided for them. Their clothes didn't wear, their shoes didn't wear, and he fed them. Then I can see them reaching back a little further and saying, oh, that's not all. That's not all. But before that, we were in Egypt. We were in a a land of slavery to Egypt and we were doing all of their things and all the all of what Pharaoh wanted us to do and we were doing the harvesting and we were we were the servants in the land of Egypt but God said that's not your end goal that's just your in between that's just where you're at right now you're going to be free from that situation and once again faith begins to rise in these young kids and they said okay well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me so I encourage you, you I encourage you families I encourage you moms and dads Set up some altars in your life. Set up some visible altars that your kids are going to see. And you know what? Mom prayed like this. Oh, dad prayed like this. Oh, they got down on their knees and they cried out before God when things got tough, when they didn't think food was going to be put on the table, when they didn't know how the finances were going to come through. God stepped in. And if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. So God brought them through the wilderness. God provided for them along the way. And we see these altars and we see these stories and we know that they were used to build faith. You see, God never forsakes his people. But not only are these places or these altars a place of remembrance and places to look back and places to do all these different things, but they're also a place of consecration. They're a place where covenants are made. Covenants between us and God now that word covenant is not something we use every day. I think we understand what it means for the most part, but I was, I was still curious. I'm a curious person. <laughs> so I did this study on the word covenant, and I said, man, let's just look this thing up in the dictionary. And I said, okay, what's covenant? A covenant is usually a formal, solemn, and binding agreement. 
Uh, number two says a written agreement or promise usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. And last but not least, and actually my favorite one of all, is a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties and the alignment of their goals and desires. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's like a contract of sorts, but slightly different. You see, because a contract is transactional. It's saying, you know what, I'm committing to buy this, and they're committing to sell this to me, and this is what both parties are agreeing to do, and this is what it's going to look like. But a covenant is just a little bit different. A covenant is also a binding agreement between two parties, but it's more than just that. It's not just saying I agree to something, but it's saying I'm committing myself to aligning with this other party, with this other person, with God. Aligning not only my my present day, but aligning myself long-term with God. Aligning my goals, aligning my desires, aligning my vision, and saying, God, what, what you want is what I want. What you're, what you're speaking is what I'm speaking. What, how you're walking is how I'm walking, God. I want to be holy because you're holy, God. I want you to change things in me because that's what you're pleased with. I'm tired of looking through the ends, the lens of the natural and saying what I want. Oh, this is what the world offers. And the world is temporary. The world is just a vapor. We're here for like a vapor compared to all eternity. So what you do in the here and now is going to depend upon what your forever looks like. And that's more important. There's a lot of cool things in this world. There's a lot of things we can get caught up in. A lot of fun things. But we got to take a step back and say, this world's just a vapor. I'm only here for a moment and then I'm gone. But God, I want my will and my life to line up with your purpose and your plan. And I want to reach your world with the gospel. I want to reach people. It's a commitment. It's saying, God, this covenant I'm making with you is a commitment. And I'm agreeing to do this. And I'm agreeing not to throw in the towel. How easy is it to throw in the towel? Man, it's easy. We come into the house of God. We're like, oh, man, that was great. And we leave. And we're like, okay, now there's this. And oh, this temptation. Oh, it looks nice. Oh, we can do this. And we can just throw in the towel because we get weary and we get tired. But the Bible says, do not be weary in well-doing. But you've got to pursue. And with perseverance and endurance, you've got to follow after Christ. Paul said it. Run the race with patience and endurance. And don't run it to get last place, but run it to finish. Run it to complete this thing. So when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through a difficult time, say, God, I, I gotta consecrate myself. I gotta find an altar. I gotta build an altar right here. I've gotta change some things in my life. I wanna align myself with you and your goals and your plan for my life. Now, you may not realize it, but you all have made a covenant of sorts at one point in time or another. Maybe it was a covenant to your family. Maybe you were saying, well, I'm gonna provide for you and take care of you as the parents, you know, or maybe you're saying, maybe you're a young person, you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm a part of this family, I'm going to contribute to its goals. I would say the majority of us have made a covenant to the house of God. We said that when the doors are open, if I'm able to, if I'm, if I'm able to be there, God, I'm going to be there. If I have to join online, that's okay, I'm going to be there. God's presence is not, he's not a respecter of persons, and you don't necessarily have to be in one place at one time. He's all omnipotent. He's all omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. So even you on the video chat, God's doing a work, I believe, in your home right now. God's speaking to you right now. Amen. And we've made a commitment to the house of God to live after him for the rest of our lives. 
We're going to come in. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to pray. We're committed to the cause of the church, the vision that pastor has set out for us. We're committed to reaching our world with the gospel and know that nothing can stand in our way. There is nothing. We've seen COVID come through in March or before then. And we've had to make some changes and some adjustments, but the church is still here. The church is still thriving. God still shows up. Whether we're in a building or if we're online, God still shows up. Uh, Matt and Bria had their friend in Helica, and they did a, a Bible study with her online. Way to go. We're using 21st century technology to reach our world. Never before in the, in the moment of news broadcasts go forth, five seconds later, it's on the other side of the country. Same thing with video chat, same thing with reaching people. We have the tools in our hands to do all that God's called us to do. Amen. So we're committed to the cause of the church and we're committed to reaching the world with the gospel and there's nothing that can stand in our way. The government can't, COVID can't, people can't because he's going to have us persevere. Daniel was persecuted and they said, you know what? You can't pray to anybody, any other God except for basically the king during this period of time, during the time that this decree has gone forth. And Daniel was bold as he is and he's like, you know what? I want to open my windows. I'm still going to pray in the morning. I'm still going to pray in the noontime. I'm still going to pray in the evening. And God showed up and was, did he start to face persecution? Yeah, but God freed him even from the persecution. He stepped in and the lines hit and shut their mouths and God walked into his situation. So in our situation, God will still be there. God will still provide. Amen. The church is going to prevail. And as I come to a close, we, um, you've heard of the underground church in China, I'm sure. Some of you maybe, some of you not. There's a church in China that they're persecuted because they don't believe Christianity. At, at a time, they allowed churches and they allowed them to go on, but then they, the, the Chinese, the communist government in China came through and said, you know, you can't do that anymore. And they began to persecute these Christians and these pastors. And they began to throw them in jail and prison. And they said, you know what? You can't practice anymore. And they, they questioned them. They said, will you denounce your, your religion? Will you denounce your God and your pastor and your congregation? And I was actually reading about an interview just a couple days ago. I was reading about it. And it was about this girl in China. And she was in prison. And she says, I'm not going to denounce. I won't denounce. And they said, well, come on. You know you're not going to get a trial in here. You know you're not going to be able to get out of here. Your pastor might have a trial, but you have no hope. And she said, I still am not going to give in. And she said, I'm not going to renounce my religion. You see, China right now is on track in 2030 to be the largest Christian nation on this earth. Even in the midst of them being some of the most persecuted peoples, they're still on fire for God. They said, you know what? Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to come in between me. Millions and millions and millions of people are meeting underground. They're meeting in conference rooms. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting over Zoom because they said, this is my life and I've made a covenant. I've set up an altar before God that I'm never going to back away from. And they said, you know what? I'm willing to die for this. I'm willing to step in and say, God, take me if it's for the furtherance of the gospel, use me, God. Use me, God. I make a covenant. So as you stand this morning, will you lift up your hands? And I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to say, God, I make an altar right where I'm at. I make an altar, God. I want to consecrate my heart to you. 
I want to consecrate some things to your, to your word, God, to you, Lord. And I want you to begin to pray a prayer of repentance and say, God, forgive me of all the sins that I've committed. Forgive me of the things I've done. I don't want to walk this way anymore, God. I want to change. I want today to be the day of victory. I want today to be a day that I'm changed. So as they begin to sing, will you just build an altar where you're at? Let God work on you this morning. Isaiah 54 and 10 says this, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion for you. He's going to keep his promises, church. Let's worship him. Come on, right now, build an altar. The precious blood of Jesus.